Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Alright, uh, now comes to our Bible reading this morning, which is uh, in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through to 34 and then verse 14. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothras, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, and a dealer, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, Finally, Paul came, became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in, a, in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the, in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and immediately washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. For the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be able to bring you the word this morning. If you don't know me, particularly those of you joining us online, my name is Josh Shearer and I'm the lead pastor here at Gawler Uniting Church and also out at Sandy Creek and Williamstown Uniting Churches as well. And so I know that some of the uh, Williamstown family actually watched this service after the fact as part of their Bible studies and life groups that they do during the week. So a special shout out to the the Bible studies that are going to be looking at this throughout uh, their time together. So today we start a new series called Shaping Culture. And it's a series that's going to go right through Lent. And it's looking at who are we called to be as a church? Where is God calling us at this time, in this season, with who we are? And now I know that for some of you, you might be visiting with us, you might be joining us online, just dropping in. What I'd love this series to be is for those of us that are members here that have been here for a while, that this would be a a recalibration point. Last year was super disruptive. It was so, so much, feels like it's changed about our church life. And so I want to bring us back to the central reason we are here as a church in this season, throughout this series, and then to look at what we are meant to look like along the way. And because we're preaching this through Lent, we're going to tie in some of the elements of the way we see Jesus display and teach the core values and the vision that we have as a church, because all of it is deeply grounded in Scripture so whilst I'm a real passion, I have a real passion for strategic leadership, what I want to hopefully highlight across this series is that, that strategy and planning is not separate to the revelation of Scripture and the work of the Spirit, but instead they are intrinsically intertwined in who we are and what we are called to do as a church. And so today I want to talk vision, but I'll give you a quick introduction of where we're going over this whole series. So the vision that we have as a church, which I know you all know, is to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Come on, you know it, it's on the wall, it's been there over a year. It's to see lives transformed 
with the good news of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that can transform a life truly than Jesus Christ and the good news, the gospel. And that could be redefined into a context. So if we're in Gawler, it's to see Gawler transformed with the good news of Jesus. If it's with our young people, it's to see the young people in our midst have their lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. That is the very core and the heart of who we are and what we are meant to do. And if you're joining us online, it's, it's the you, wherever you are, which is have your life transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we are about as a church. But then we have some core values too, which I know you all know them. And they are quite simply authentic community, fervent prayer, welcoming hospitality, radical generosity, relational evangelism, a lot of active doing words, some complicated churchy type words in there in some ways. And so across this series, we're going to spend a week looking at our vision today, but then we're going to spend a week looking at each of those core values and what they actually mean for us in our life. So I'm looking forward to that. And when I preached this last time, it was, I preached all of them, all six of the weeks. But this, this time we're going to be hearing from some of the other voices in the life of our church, which excites me greatly because it's not just my vision. It's just not just the values that I've decided. It's the values that we share as a whole church. And so I'm excited to hear from different voices as to what that can look, could and should look like for us. So the question becomes, why do we need a vision or a purpose statement? Why do we need something like that? And quite simply, it answers the question, why are we here? Why are we here? Gula Uniting Church, why are we here in this season with these resources? What are we supposed to be doing? And a vision and a purpose statement is something that is unifying. We can gather around it. It's a shared sense of purpose. So there's no confusion about what we should or shouldn't be doing. It becomes the central gathering idea around why we are a church. It's meant to be inspiring. It's meant to be recalibrating so that we decide what we should or what we shouldn't be doing as a church. And so then the question becomes, okay, so why do we need core values, Josh? Surely we can just follow Jesus and everything will be okay, right? Surely we just, if, we, if, we, if we've got the Bible and then we've got followers of Jesus, then if, surely with this plus people equals harmony and peace and joy and prosperity and love and grace and acceptance. But sad, I've got to tell you that that's not quite how this works. So often we need something more not something extra, something more, something that refines our understanding of the things that we ought be doing to see the vision God has given us realized. Because core, core values are, are, are simply agreed behaviors, things that we've decided we're all going to do. And we believe that if we all do them, we will see the vision that God has given us of a community transformed with the gospel actually realized. And the thing about culture, has anyone been able to define culture over the years? It's famously quoted in the movie The Castle. Anyone seen that one? The Castle? What does the guy, the, the lawyer say about, um, he says, it's Marbo, it's the 
the vibe. Culture can be defined as the vibe. Other people have defined it as the way things are around here. If someone were to walk in, what would they experience? That is culture. And so we believe the core values actually shape culture. And we either choose to accept the culture or we choose to create it. And by having core values, it's about creating culture. And so you look as excited as I am to get into this stuff. Sorry, that's a long explanation for some really... But I think it's really important ideas for us as a church. And sorry if I get a bit carried away. This is one of the things I believe God has put me on the earth to do, is to talk about strategic leadership and, and all this sort of stuff. So forgive me if I get excited. I'll, I'll promise to keep an eye on the time. So today we're going to look at vision. And our vision has three parts to it. There's a who. And that is the context that we find ourselves in. Gawler or wherever, wherever it is that our mission reaches, wherever God has given us influence, that is the who of our vision. But then the what is transformation. The what of what we, what we are about is seeing lives, that's the who, transformed, that's the what. But then there's the, the third part of it is the how. It doesn't come from attending church on Sundays. It doesn't come from reading your Bible regularly. It doesn't come from being a part of a life group, although you should do that. I'm doing an online life group starting two, uh, this afternoon, half past two until four o'clock. Jump on, if you're joining us online, jump on the Facebook page, send me a message, I'd love you to be there. Just a side plug. All of those things are important, but not one of them brings transformation. Transformation actually comes through the gospel being realized in our hearts of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. That is what brings transformation. That is the what. And the central underlying passage of this vision that we have is from Romans chapter 12. And it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what God has done for us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Make your life no longer about you, but about God and the things of God so that it's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is how you glorify God. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed, there's our word, by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can understand and test and approve God's will, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what transformation does in our life. It leaves us different than we were before so we can better understand who God is and what God is going to do and can do and should do in and through our lives. But it all comes back to God's, all that transformation is because of God's mercy towards us. It all comes back to the gospel and the power of the gospel to transform a life. And so to illustrate, I thought, where did I want to take us today? I could stand up here for, for half an hour and just talk about that, and I'd feel like I'd done my job in some ways. I'd feel good about it, at least. But what God led me to this week was to give you an illustration of what this transformation actually looks like. What does it look like that the gospel can transform a life? And what do we learn about that for our season of the world and for the calling God has given us? And so we take, we take a trip to the first century, into Acts chapter 16. 
And this is where the early church is beginning to be born. We see some characters in this, the Apostle Paul. We see a fellow missionary of his, Silas. We, see, we meet a few different characters. And what we discover in this text is that the gospel transformation is deeper. It is wider. It is more powerful than we can ever imagine. And it is for everyone. The people we think qualify and the people we think don't. And so the context is that the Apostle Paul and his missionary friend Silas have journeyed to Macedonia. And they're spreading the gospel and building faith communities. And we see three different encounters of gospel transformation. Each of them is profoundly different. And each of them gives a different perspective of how gospel transformation can find expression in the world. And so I'm not going to read the whole text again because it was long. And you did an amazing job with those tricky words there, Mel, as well. But what I want to do is, is stop in at each of these people. Explore what happened for them and draw an idea out that fits for us to help us understand what gospel transformation looks like. How does that sound? Great. Thought so. So let's meet Lydia. The idea behind Lydia's transformation is that the gospel can bring transformation through rational revelation, through it just making good sense. We know that Lydia... As we pick up in verse 13, Lydia was a professional businesswoman. She was a, a, a merchant of fine cloth, particularly purple cloth is mentioned. And we know purple cloth was expensive to manufacture for whatever reason, which means her role was one of wealth and significance. She was one, a, a woman of pro, prominence in the community. She sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people. And now you are beautiful people here this morning as well. But we picture Leslie as, as, not Leslie, she's the lady of the boutique in town that sells beautiful clothes to beautiful people. Maybe that's where my brain was going. Maybe that's, a that's an illustration of, of Lydia. I've actually never been in that store. Maybe I should. But I'm told that it sells beautiful clothes to beautiful people. Is that right? Yes, well, everyone that's shopping there is like, yes, of course it, they do. But it gives us a picture of what Lydia is like, a powerful significant, influential businesswoman in a time of the world where women weren't necessarily so. And we discover that she's a worshipper of God. She's a, a, what they define as a God-fearer. It was a person, she was, a, she was Greek. She had a Greek understanding of the world. She was a Gentile, so she wasn't Jewish. And she had left behind polytheism. She'd left behind the multiple gods of, of philosophy and paganism. And she had recognized there was something significant about this God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, and she was following Him. She was known as a God-fearer. She was worshiping the God of the Old Testament. And how does the gospel come to her? We discover, we pick up in verse 14, one of those listening. So Paul goes to the, to the, um, to the river, to a place of prayer, and finds a little prayer group happening, and it's all women. And he sits down and he talks to them. One of them was, a, was this lady named Lydia. And she opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household, or well then, 
when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, that is Luke who's writing this text, Paul, Silas, to her home. She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, there's two key words that we don't want to focus on about what Lydia has got going on. Is that the first one is that she opened her heart to the Lord. The word there is actually attracted. She was attracted to what Paul was saying. She was attracted by the truth of the gospel for some reason. And it's not until we understand her worldview that we understand why. The, 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 um, the understandings of the world at that time, of paganism, and in that area of the world was two primary Greek philosophies, Stoicism and Epicureanism. Stoicism was simply that you, we, we must, it's purely a um, scientific, as we understand it, view of the world. There's nothing after death. Everything dies. There's no hope after it. So don't attach yourself to anything for any reason because it will die, you will die, and that's it. It's going to hurt too much. So don't attach yourself to anything because it's all going to finish anyway. That's what stoicism looks like. Don't love because life is short, basically. And then the other worldview that, that Lydia would have had open to her is this Epicureanism and that life is short, so live it up. Life is short, get what you can while you can. I'm here for a short time and a good time, not a long time. That's what it was all about. And so what we discover is that for Lydia, she's got this worldview of these two philosophies. And living with those both in mind, they, no, neither of those offer any hope. Neither of them offer any significance to her. Nothing, they don't offer anything beyond what you can see. And both of them give a largely inadequate perspective. And I wonder if that's similar to some of the things that are offered from our culture these days. Get what you can while you can, because life is short. Live it up while you're here. Well, there's nothing after you die anyway, so don't worry about it. You're an accident of matter. There's nothing beyond it. Your identity is of no significance that's what the philosophies of our age would say, whether it's philosophy of creation in that, or the philosophy of evolution and that stuff, that we're just a, a product of matter, or whether it's the philosophy of our culture that says, just you, you're the ultimate authority, you do what you want. But what Lydia discovered is both of those things, and what we discover is both of them leave us empty. And so Lydia turns to God instead. She turns to the Old Testament. She turns to religion. And so many of us, when we find inadequacy in the, the narratives of our culture, we turn to religion. But what she had available was the religion of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules about what it was needed to happen to get in with God. And for Lydia, both of and that's a burden. That was a burden. It is a burden. Peter, in the chapter earlier, reflects on this. He says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke, that is a teaching, the Old Testament law, that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We, have been, we haven't been able to get this Old Testament law stuff right, so we can't put it on these 
New Testament believers. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ alone that we are saved, just as we are. And so Lydia is trying to fill her life with philosophy or religion, getting right with God through behaving right. And they both leave her empty. And so when Paul brings this new news, that he says it's not about either of those things, there's a new way, a gospel, a good news, that it's not about either of those things, it's about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Something about it attracted Lydia. And she knows beauty. She knows attractive because she sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people, but she'd never seen a beauty like this. For Lydia, the gospel transformation came through the revelation, a simple revelation about the core understanding of the gospel. So when, G- when Paul declares that truth, that he died for her sins, and that he earned a blessing that perfect obedience deserves and bore the curse, the disobedience that we all live out through sin deserves. He bore that curse so that through faith we can believe and find the blessing that Jesus earned at, on the cross. When he, she hears that gospel, she finds a beauty she had never seen before. And so it was an attractive, for, so for Lydia, the gospel transformation came it came through a rational revelation the pure words of the gospel being spoken into her heart were beautiful enough that it transformed her life so that's the first person the second person although no, i was going to mention an, another word at the end of of meeting lydia she has a discussion with paul and she persuades him to set up a ministry center, set up a church in her house. This is the church of Philippi that we know from Philippians. This is her church, where she was. And what, what that word persuaded tells us is that Paul and her sat down and had a discussion. Paul, who wrote Romans. Paul, the greatest, arguably the greatest arguer of theology that we know of. Paul. She sits down with Paul, they have a discussion and she wins. How interesting. Shout out to the way that women have significance in, the, in scriptures, right? That's just an aside. She wins, which means this wasn't just a, Paul didn't just present something wishy-washy and she just accepted it. No, she was an intelligent, powerful, significant woman and the gospel came to her through rational revelation. So friends, maybe what we need to hear is that the gospel transformation isn't just a wishy-washy teaching that, f- that primary school kids accept through Sunday school. No, it is a powerful and significant word of truth for our time. That you don't need to check your brain out at the door to accept, but instead is the most wonderful, powerful, logical, rational, and significant truth the world will ever know. Maybe that is a word of what, transformational, like what transformation through the gospel looks like. But let's move on. We've got to keep moving. The second person that we meet is a young girl. She's a slave, 10 to 14 years of age, we believe. And she was not just enslaved physically to her masters, but she was enslaved spiritually. Excuse me. 
she had what they called the spirit of the python in that day. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but it was a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination that meant there was a demon within her that gave her the ability to speak and see into time, to see the truth about the future. And now, I get it that we, under, we struggle to understand what that looks like for us. And there's a really complicated and significant theological answer to how it is that a demon within her can speak the truth and see the future. And I'm going to preach about that another time. But I'm not going to stay there. Just suffice to say that I understand why it, why it makes sense, so you've got to trust me. Does that sound good? All right, because let's save some time. But she had a knowledge about the future that she shouldn't have had. And she goes to, she goes to Paul and Silas, and she starts proclaiming the truth about them. And by the way, the Bible doesn't exist yet. There's no New Testament. No one has proclaimed the gospel before in this place. So no one knows who they are. And no one has cause to know who, who Paul and Silas are. Yet this woman somehow knows. This girl knows. And she declares the truth in verse 17. She followed them while they're going around preaching. And she says, these are the servants. And she says, it says shouting, but it means shrieking. This girl is bellowing. Like you think, we think that this demonic possession, she, she was able to speak in different voices, that something we don't understand. You can think exorcist, the movie, and not be too far away from as we understand culturally what this girl was wrestling with. And so she's following them, shrieking and carrying on. These are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the truth about the way to be saved, is what it says in the Greek. So she's declaring a truth about them. And I love this bit. Paul turns to her. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I can't take this for one more minute. Shut up! He turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, get out of her, talking to the demon. I can't take this. Can you imagine it? I am done with this girl. Shut up, demon, get out. And the demon leaves her in a moment. Now, friends, for this young girl, gospel transformation came through a powerful encounter through a powerful encounter. For some people, the gospel comes through rational revelation, but for some, transformation comes through a powerful encounter, through a move of power through the Spirit. What happens here? Paul declares a name greater than the name of that demon, of that evil that was at work in her life. She declares a name greater over her life, and that demon flees from her. This girl needed a new Lord. This girl needed something to break the slavery in her life. And Paul declares the truth of Jesus over her and she is released, set free. There's a Charles Wesley hymn that describes what happens here beautifully. And it's actually in our, in our Together in Songbook. It's uh, number 219 if you want to look it up later. It's called Jesus, the name high over all. And the first, the first part of the first verse says this. Jesus, the name, I'm not going to sing it for you. Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky. 
angels and mortals prostrate and fall, and devils fear and fly. When Jesus' name, high over all, was declared over this girl's life, the devil within her feared and fled. She, Paul speaks the name above every other name over her life, and the demons flee. Now, for some people, I believe gospel transformation looks like a power encounter with the name of Jesus over their life. Because whatever, and the thing that we need to consider is that in our life, we don't see demonic stuff that often. Well, we don't think we do. I know I believe in my understanding of theology, and again, I'll talk about this another time, is that I think the demonic is actually very real. And if we don't believe in it, and if we don't make allowance for it, I think we are profoundly naive. Now, I don't mean to offend you, but if we don't take this stuff seriously, I think we miss a really significant transformational power that the gospel can bring. Because I think in our life, this girl, well, this girl was controlled by the demonic and by the people she had been sold into slavery to, that were making money off of her divination. And so she was controlled. But friends, for some of us in our life, we are, we are controlled. Maybe not in the same way. But there are things in our life that determine what we do and don't do. We might be controlled by a debt we couldn't afford. We might be controlled by some domineering people in our life. We might be controlled by an addiction. We might be controlled by something that says what we should or shouldn't be doing. And so, friends, I believe that the gospel can bring transformation through a powerful encounter. I believe some of us in our life, in fact, many of us every single day, need to encounter or need to place the word of Jesus over our life and see the other things fear and fly. And so the gospel brings transformation sometimes through a powerful encounter. But then what happens next? Well, naturally, Paul and Silas, this girl's owners aren't super happy. They pull them before the magistrates. They're beaten, flogged, thrown in prison. Thanks very much for bringing the gospel to this woman's life. And then we meet our third person in the narrative. And it's a jailer. This jailer would have been a retired soldier, most likely, a hard person with a hardened heart. And through this jailer, we discover that the, the gospel can bring transformation through practical expression, through practical expression. See, this retired soldier, a hard and hardened man who would, has taken lives across the empire, has retired and been given this position as a, as a jailer. He's not the sort of person that Paul would have been able to preach the gospel to right away. He was not interested. His heart was hard to the things of spirituality. I wonder, do we know anyone like that in our lives? And we discover that in this, the jailer receives them. And though he doesn't have to, and he actually hasn't been given any reason what they've been charged with, because they haven't been charged with anything, by the way, he throws them in stocks that were uncomfortable and designed to cause pain. And he throws them in the inner cell, the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. No light at all, even in the daytime. This is a hard, hard man. And so Paul and Silas 
have every reason to be despondent in that moment based on the actions, what they have just been, how they've been treated. But in verse 25 we read, they start in the middle of the night, they start singing hymns to God. In, in stocks, in chains, in the darkness, they sing hymns to God. And then an earthquake comes. Everything shakes. Just setting the scene for you. It's all right. Their stocks are released. The chains fall off. They are free. And the jailer wakes up and sees what's happened. He's like, oh my goodness, this is it. I'm done. And as a Roman soldier, there was an honor culture. He says, if I have failed my duty, I'm going to be executed anyway. I will fall on my own sword, take my life, and reclaim a sense of honor for myself. But then a voice comes from the inner cells. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. It's okay. It's okay. And so he calls for some lights to be brought into the place where there is no light. And there they all are. Those that have been released yet still present. And he falls on his knees. What must I do to be saved? To, for this jailer, a hard, seasoned veteran of war, one whom Paul would have never been able to convince, he falls on his knees. Why? I believe it's because he encountered the practical outworking of Paul and Silas's faith. In the face of suffering and despair, they praised God and they had hope and peace and joy by singing hymns in the dark place. And in the face of persecution and suffering and mistreatment, they displayed kindness and joy towards a man they owed nothing. They saved his life because the gospel transformation within them compelled them to care enough for him. And so for this jailer, transformation of the gospel doesn't come through intelligent conversation. It doesn't come through an individual power encounter with his life. It comes through him witnessing the practical faith of Paul and Silas. That's how the transformation breaks through to him. And so for us, I think, that transformation, we've seen it. In that loved one that we know was so far from faith, but they ask, quest they ask a question about why do you behave that way? What is it, wh why do you have hope when you've just lost your friend? Why is it that in the midst of not having a job, you can still have joy? Why is it that when things are hard for you, you still smile? Friends, all of that is the practical expressions of our faith. Gospel transformation can come to our friends, to our family, to those whose hearts are hard to the faith, sometimes just through living it out. Not any more than the other two, by the way. Let me be clear. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card that I'm just going to live a holy life and people will just get it and come to faith. Probably not. There are expressions of each for each 
person, but the gospel can bring transformation through each of them. So the gospel brings transformation through rational revelation. Thank you, Lydia, for showing us that. The gospel brings transformation through a powerful move of the Spirit. Thank you to the slave girl. The gospel brings transformation through practical expression. Thank you to the jailer. Three very different people. Three very different expressions of transformation. One, gospel truth. One, gospel truth. So what's the point? Why am I telling you all this? Where do we go with this? Well, there's three things that I need to tell you. Three things, three reasons why I'm telling you all of this. And the first one is, I need you to know the diversity and creativity of this gospel of transformation. It is broader than we think possible, and God is more creative than we could ever imagine to bring His truth into people's lives. When we, when we think of our vision of seeing lives transformed with the good news of Jesus, let's make sure that our mind is open to the diversity and creativity of God to bring the gospel to people. It helps us understand that rational and relational conversations matter. Powerful prayer encounters matter. That's why we, we invite people for prayer after the service. Practical expressions of love and grace matter. And there will be more besides. And so we're invited to figure out what they are in our life and see how God is calling us to bring transformation through the gospel. But the other part of this first bit is, I think, and I want to challenge you, to pray for and champion those who do it differently to you. So often in the Christian church, we see people praying and we go, that's not for me, I don't get it, I don't understand intercessory prayer, but I know how to take food hampers to people, so they do them, I'll do me, everything will be fine. Or I'm an intelligent person, I get how to explain the gospel to people in a rational way, I'm good at apologetics, so I'll do that, but I don't quite get and I don't really value this prayer thing. I don't quite get how that works. And people that want social justice, I don't understand. I'm about logic, so that's me. They do them, I'll do me, it'll be great. No, I believe the challenge is that we as the church are for all of those things. And if we can't do them, we sure as heck pray for the people who can. Because we are a church. We're a global church. We are a church within a town. And each church finds different expression. Each person's faith finds a different expression. And sure as God is my witness, we need it all to see lives and to see our town transform with the good news of Jesus. That's the truth of it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is gospel transformation is for everyone. These three people couldn't have been more different. But they, also, they equally needed the gospel to fill a need in their life. Lydia needed the gospel to reach her as she swung between empty philosophy and burdensome religion, trying to live right amid a very comfortable life as an influential woman. She needed the gospel to speak into that and give her hope in the emptiness. The slave girl needed to be released from hostile forces holding her down in her life. 
And the jailer needed his heart. Who was all, the, the, the jailer needed the gospel to soften an indifferent, jaded, and hardened heart. Friends, the gospel is for everyone. For everyone. Enough said. So let's stop limiting it. Let's stop deciding who we're going to speak truth and life and hope into and who we won't. Because that's not our job. And the third thing is, this is twofold. The third thing is, when we look at these two, three narratives, we're not Paul. We were once one of those three, and we may still be. And so Paul invites us, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he says, think about who, what you were like when you first came, when you first believed. What were you like? Because you are, were not like what you are now. You were different. You might have been enslaved to something. You might have had a hardened heart, jaded to the world. You might have had it all, and it left you with nothing. But think about what you were like when you first believed, if you're a follower of Jesus. Because something in that will unlock an empathy in you for those that were just like you. You will see them. You will feel for them. And God will have given you something to relate to them about how the gospel has transformed your life and what it can mean for them. So that's as a follower of Jesus. But the other side of this is if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's an invitation here, a serious one. It's an invitation to consider stepping towards Jesus and allowing the good news of the gospel to transform your life. Because you might be here today, you might be watching whenever you're watching, you might feel like, that, oh, that slave girl, that, that's me right now. Or that jailer, that's me. Or that prosperous woman, that's me, I've been living that and it's just left me with nothing. And I don't know what's next. The invitation to you this morning is to believe in Jesus. Is to allow that gospel truth that Jesus, the Son of God, gave His life for you. So that you could find a life of fullness that's better than anything else we can experience in this life. Not just a life eternal with God, but a life of fullness now. That is what Jesus did for you. And so the invitation is wherever you are in your journey, the invitation is to see Jesus and believe. Because that's all that's needed. Not a good life, not a right sort of living. Just to look and see this beauty that's unlike anything you will have ever seen. A beauty that transforms the heart. So we have a vision as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. It's an exciting vision. It's full of possibility. Can you feel it? So I want to inspire you this morning. I want to drive you. I want to encourage you when things are hard. 
I want you to believe and know that God has called you to this season, in this time, to bring gospel transformation to people's lives. That could just be that it's to bring gospel transformation to your life today. So I want to invite you to take a step today. It could be for the first time or it could be just to say, God, I'm sorry for when I've been limiting this gospel of transformation to my understanding. And let's see what God can do in this church, in this town, in this community, to see lives transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it speaks life and truth to us. And Lord, we, we're sorry for the times we have limited what we think is possible for gospel transformation. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to see this afresh? Would you give us the courage to live out what this looks like? But above all, Lord, if we are hearing, receiving, if there's people here that I believe are not here by accident, are discovering this beautiful truth for the first time, I pray, open their hearts to receive it this day, to put their faith and hope in you above everything else that can offer anything in this life. You are greater. Your name is greater than every other name. Lord, I pray that people would put their hope in Jesus today, perhaps for the first time, and see their life transformed with that good news to see a life of fullness in your name. So Lord, would you give us the wisdom and the the grace to receive this word? Inspire our hearts and give us courage to live it out however you call us to. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know, or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gawleyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.